You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Four hours of trauma. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Matthew Collar in for Phil Mackey. Judd Zolgad here, of course. And we welcome in ESPN's Courtney Cronin, who is out at TCO Performance Center and just finished listening to Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer talk about the passing of Tony Sperano and the beginning of training camp. Courtney, what was your biggest takeaway from Spielman and Zimmer? Man, that was tough to listen to. Both were uh, fighting back tears there at the podium, and you just can really tell how much of a loss this is to the Vikings, to these players, to the entire NFL. I mean, Tony was beloved, as we saw the last few days with the outpouring of support. And, you know, Rick Spielman said that, you know, even as – Soon as today, I know the Falcons like already have reported and all that. Dan Quinn reached out to him this morning. Um, Tony was loved, and you know it's it's very evident in just how hard this is uh, to get these guys back out here and to be around football. But you know, in, in a way, the the football is a blessing right now because it's a, it's a distraction. And this is you know Zimmer said this is what Tony would have wanted, and probably with some four letter words etched in there too telling him to not be doing this right now and, you know, be get out, getting out there and, uh, you know, getting after it in a way. I mean, it's a tough way to open training camp, uh, for yeah. sure. How, how tough is this, too, for, for the franchise itself, Courtney, in, in the sense that, you know, we're dealing here with, with the ultimate macho sport, right? And we're dealing yep. with young guys. I mean, the, the starting old line, I believe, is a max age of 29, which is a young person. And those people don't have to deal with death. So, so what is the balancing act in a world where they claim that distractions don't, you know, don't annoy them and we're going to push forward and we're going to play the game? But in this world, the grieving is necessary. So that this is going to be a very, very fine line here because you can't just say, well, well, we're done grieving now because people grieve at different stages. How, how tough do you think this entire situation is in from that end? The grieving timeline, I mean, you can't, you're right, Chad. You can't tell somebody, okay, we're going to give ourselves this week and then we're moving on. I mean, yes, in the sense of that, they're not talking about who they're trying to replace them with or how that process is going to go. They want to, you know, respect the players, respect the family, and give them the time this week. But come Saturday, you know, after the funeral and it's the first practice with the full team, people aren't just going to be over it. Uh, it's something I asked Rick, Rick Spielman about, like, are there counseling service? What are you doing for the players? And, you know, this team prides itself on being a family, and, you know, being around each other certainly is uh, part of that grieving process to try to help. But, you know, there are there are counseling things for people who need it, and, you know, that everybody, they do recognize that everybody grieves on their own timeline. And, you know, that's I think stuff like this shows you that this is more than just a macho man sport and that, you know, feelings do matter. Mike Zimmer crying on the podium saying this kind of reminds him of the time he lost his wife, Vicky in 2009 when he was in Cincinnati and that, you know, saying that Jeanette, um, his wife, uh, Tony Sperano's wife, reminded him a lot of his wife. Um, you really get to cut through uh, the tough exterior that we're dealt with with these people every single day and see them as people. 
And can you kind of explain too how close some of these players get with their position coaches? Because I, I'm not sure that's something that everybody really knows because there's so much focus on the head coach all the time. But these are the guys that are spending every meeting oh, every yeah. day with uh, with the offensive linemen. I mean, that's that, that your position group is who you're closest to. I mean, yes, your head coach, your offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, they oversee everything. But when you guys you're in the trenches with, to, to put it in that in that term are the people that are coaching your exact position. And I think the guys here, the five starting linemen, really took on Tony's personality. It's kind of gruff, no nonsense. I know in Oakland it was a thing where, you know, they kind of, you weren't really supposed to, as an offensive lineman, be the guy who wants to talk to the media and, and you know, kind of be that front-facing person. It's a thankless, no-name type job. And they took that mentality and really applied it uh, to the identity of this group. I mean, Zimmer talked about, you know, a lot of the guys walk around here and he's like, there's a bunch of little Sperano's running around everywhere, which, you know, really shows you how, how valued he was and just his presence, like how big of an impact he had. And he's here two years. Um, and, and we talked about it on Monday just with the impact he had, uh, not only in bringing this team, bringing a run game into the modern era, team that goes from, 32nd in rushing in 2016 to 7th last year, the innovative ways he did things. Yep. Um, but he, he, he impacted the culture here a lot. First play week one. First play, I don't care. Wildcat. Wildcat. Just run the Wildcat. In fact, tell the Niners and the officials we're going to do it. Snap the ball to Dalvin Cook. But that, to me, would, would be the, the ultimate football tribute, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, they were, they were asked about like what they're going to do. Um, you'd imagine there'd be some sort of patch either on the jersey or on the helmet. Spielman said that they're, you know, working with the family eventually once we kind of get through this, this hell of a week that they've had um, to kind of figure a way to, to offer a tribute to him. I'm standing outside in TCO Stadium right now, and that um, the scoreboard has the In Memory of Tony Sperano with 1961 to 2008 uh, plastered on it, and that's been up there since, I believe, you know, as early as Monday. I could have been up there on Sunday, but, you know, this is going to be the storyline of the season, guys. I mean, they, every win is going to be for Tony. Like Latavius Murray said it on his uh, Instagram the other day. He's been three or five years with him in Oakland, so he knew him pretty well. Um, but just the matter of which guys are going to want to play this season in his memory, I uh, can't understate it. So with the offensive line, there is another issue to talk about, which is Pat Elfline starting on the physically unable to perform list. I'm sure you guys did not grill Zimmer on injuries to start off after that yeah. press conference. That might have been uh, mildly inappropriate, but uh, what's the feeling on Pat Elfline and when he could potentially be ready to go? I don't think this is, I mean, with the preseason pup list, you can get activated at any time. Yesterday with the signing, of, I believe, J.P. Quinn, uh, the center, he was running with the ones and the twos, I guess if you want to call it uh, that, through the walkthrough. Uh, it kind of pointed to the fact that Elfline might still need a little bit more time, but we don't anticipate this being a long-term thing. I mean, he had the surgery on his ankle six months ago. Uh, Zimmer spoke to it just kind of a little bit, saying, you know, when the doctor says good to go, it'll be good to go, and it'll come off. Um, you know, that's I think what you anticipate with that is that it's not going to be something that lingers very far into camp, something I was told at uh, back in June that, you know, training staff was very confident that, you know, early on in training camp, he's going to be ready to go. Who, who's there as far as uh, veteran players, Courtney, who showed up? Uh, obviously, quarterbacks are here. Um, we got to see a little bit of Kirk Cousins through the walkthrough. He'll speak tomorrow. Uh, but Dalvin Cook out there, Stacey Coley, 
as well. As I said, uh, Pat Elfline, those are some of the notable ones that are here right now. Uh, but the rest just, you know, rookies, and they just went through their first walkthrough. And then at about 2.45, we are going to go back out and have the first practice of shells. Clearly, fans are going to be going out there. They're getting their free tickets by going online, and they're you know excited to see what's going on at TCO Performance Center if they haven't seen it before. But Judd and I were talking about this a little earlier on the general fan interest in Kirk Cousins. It does not have the same feel as the last few years when we debated Teddy Bridgewater or debated Case Keenum and just how good they were, and there, there were people that were on Team Case or Team Teddy or whatever it might be. I, I just don't get that feeling from Cousins. How do you think the fan base views Cousins being here now? Is it level of excitement? Is it nervousness about him? What is it? It's a little bit of both, but I think that at the root of that is there's no competition really this year. I mean, last year we knew Teddy Bridgewater was going to start uh, you know, start the season on the public. Okay, there's six weeks for you right there that he's not going to be available. Okay, Sam Brad- I think that, you know, to start training camp, you're looking at, okay, Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Bradford, there's excitement around what that battle eventually is going to be. And then, you know, with Case Keenum, he didn't look good uh, for me. I wasn't here in training camp last year, but I know, you know, talking to you about it, Bob, and talking to other people, he, he was an afterthought. He wasn't even <laughs> part of that conversation last year uh, in the first few weeks of, you know, August. So I think with Kirk, it's, you know, there's that level of security where there's no quarterback battle, so I think that that takes away a little bit of the element of, like, intrigue and excitement. And that, you know, truth be told, I mean, clearly the Vikings think he can do this. Paid him $84 million. It's a nice vote of confidence that this is our guy and he's going to get the job done. Um, once, once the full team gets out there and seeing what he looks like, you know, I think the first, uh, first practice in pads will really be a good way to take the temperature of this fan base and see what they think about it. Just based on his performance going against this defense and, you know, what he's going to face, you know, throughout the rest of training camp. And every throw, Courtney Cronin, will be scrutinized by that fan base. I will scrutinize it personally, Judd. I'm going to chart every single <laughs> Are throw. Are you going to chart? Every time he wipes his nose. I like every it. Every time he breathes funny. I am going to overemphasize every little thing well, to really buy into that hype of training camp. Because as we know, training camp, there's nothing more important in the world than training camp. So... <laughs> I know you're joking, but you are the one that uh, subscribes to his Twitter to make sure it sends you an alert every time he tweets I do. something. Yep. I mean, that's Matt. Matt, that's the world we live in. If, if Jeff Overbaugh tweeted, you know, I would subscribe <laughs> to his Twitter too. I really probably actually am going to get off the phone and go do that because, as anybody wants to talk about, you know, quarterbacks, all the position battles with the wide receiver, with um, you know the offensive line and you know nickel corner. I just want to know about long snapping. No, no one is only even, you two. Yeah, no only you two even, want to uh, talk about long snapping mistakes that might happen. No one has asked about Kevin McDermott's shoulder and whether he's going to be back or they have once, to bring back somebody here, else. Once we get a chance to talk to him on Saturday, that is going to be the first person. I'm not going to anybody else. Going straight to Kevin McDermott to talk about the shoulder and uh, maybe get his opinion on what could have happened there in the Saints game. Bef- right. Before right. you go, Courtney. Are you aware? So I I googled your name to to get to your Twitter account today to see what type. Did you have the picture of me with the eye black? Is that one of the first ones that came up? No, you have. How can I explain this to you? Because it's sort of funny, but you're not going to think it's that funny. You have an IMBD page. Oh, I do. That has your picture, but there's a Courtney Cronin who was born on November 23rd of 1973 in Boston, which is clearly not you. 
And according to this, uh, by your picture, you are a producer and writer known for your work on the Wayne Brady show, <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm, and something called Instant Recall. And it's your ESPN picture, and it's definitely you. Now, you're not 44. Someone thinks, someone thinks I'm funny. I'm going to own that. If I could, like, write comedy for the Wayne Brady show and Curb Your Enthusiasm. But do you want to be 44? But do you want to be that old? I mean, that that would make you uh, four years my junior, which is not you know, at all you know true. What 44 is? 44, the only thing that will ever be associated with that number to me, Jeff Overbaugh's number. <laughs> Go check it out, Cronin. We'll, we'll see you out there, okay? Okay, see you guys. Bye. She's got an IMBD page. It's just not her. It's very, very bizarre. Her obsession with Jeff Overbaugh, I mean, it's just got out of control. <laughs> you know what? She is dedicated to the craft. She is, yeah. The, the craft of former long snappers. Let's come back, talk uh, more Vikings questions at the bottom of the hour. Mackie and Judd today is Collar and Zolga at TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. If anyone wants to clap, now is the time to do it. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. It takes a little bit of staying away if... <sighs> Of, uh, you know, losing a great friend, a great coach, good man. Um, you know, unfortunately, I've been, I w- I've been through this uh, about eight years ago when I lost my wife. So uh, we're hoping that this is the last time. But Tony was a very good friend of mine, excellent football coach, a mentor for me to be able to go in and talk to him about um Things in the office. He was always here very, very early in the morning, as as I usually am, and we're able to sit down and talk about not just football, talk about life, talk about kids and things like that. So it'll be hard for a few days, but we'll get through it and we'll get back to work and um, do the things that we do, and that's what he'd want us to do. I can be a jerk at time about sports and say things um, just because it's sports and they're fun. But let me let me tell you this, Matthew Collar. I think it's very fair to say I have no clue how this organization, and I don't think you can, is going to handle this. And I believe that Zim is very upset. And I also believe that if you, hey, they could use it as let's win one for Tony, which they'll try to do. And it might work. Or they could be set back and get off to a terrible start. I have no... This This is one of those things, and I won't even guess because it's not fair. This is one of those things I have no idea how it's going to play out from here. I don't know if there's any way to really try to figure that out. I mean, it's something that... I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that this happened once before with an assistant coach, but it was in April. Right. And they had their time to process it and sort of move on and adjust with this. They're having to do that on the fly. And if you think about across the league, how many good teams there are, how many teams that are not dealing with something like this going into training camp, and it has to set you back. It has to be a distraction. I mean, I know that these guys are trained to kind of tune everything else out, but this is of a different level to lose someone that was that close to you. And and Zimmer and Sperano weren't just – Recent buddies, uh, they go all the way back to the Parcells era yeah, in Parcells Dallas. Parcells buddies, right? Yeah, that, that, that's how they know each other. 
So they were close. Mm-hmm. And for him to have to deal with this, it's like one thing after the next with Zimmer's career, really. Yeah. I mean, it took him so long to get this head coaching job. And if you just go through it, 2014, Adrian Peterson, 2015, Blair Walsh, 2016, Teddy Bridgewater, and all the other tackles and the eyeball. The eyeball, which is which was, yeah, awful. Um yeah, and so it's it's one of those things where where you from team to team, from guy to guy, from coach to coach, you just don't know. And and as we talked about with Courtney, the difficult thing here is, you know, throughout the course of a season for any team, you're going to have players who have things, right? Parent gets sick and maybe dies, pregnant wife, family problems. But that's one guy. So the team can still rally around, yeah, but we're fine. We're fine, and we're going to help Joe, and Joe's going to get through this. This is everybody. So now now we are delving into individual grieving processes. Mm-hmm. And and I looked this up last night. The offensive line, because those guys look gruff and rugged, right? And they present that front. You know, we're, we're mountain men. We're linemen. The oldest two guys, I believe, are, are Riley Reef and... Remmers, perhaps at twenty nine. Yeah, now that Joe Berger, yeah. is no longer. But I mean, twenty nine. But twenty nine is still a kid, basically. I mean, at twenty nine, you you don't have to deal with grief that much, and you certainly don't have to deal with a ton of death. Nor should you. And and heck, as we talked about on the uh, the Tuesday show, you know, your parents are probably around Sprano's age. Mm-hmm. And so so you know, I get it. If it's one player who has a tragedy. And and his teammates can prop him up and help him or her. That's great, but this is now this impacts everybody. This impacts everybody up to and including the top executives. And now they all have to deal with this. And I'm sure you, you tried to deal deal with it together as a unit. But the reality is, there's also there also has to be some some me time here. Yeah, and so. maybe taking this day off tomorrow no friday will help them with that in some ways to have kind of the the funeral happen pretty quick here and then get back on the field but it really changes the general feeling of camp because i think that going into this everyone was really excited about where this season was going to go you know i mean going into a camp where you feel like you're one of the favorites in the entire nfl is a very unique feeling most definitely even last year i don't think that they've quite felt that way going into camp it was like all right we got to be better and we got to bounce back from the eight and eight season but there wasn't that same we absolutely have a super bowl caliber team that's the way they're entering this camp and there was a Kind of a level of excitement there you even just saw from social media with the players that was ramped up. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, talk about a, a complete kick in the gut uh, with a tragedy right as this begins. Yeah, I, I mean, the only thing is they will have time to kind of move on, but you don't know how. It, it's not like you give it a couple days and it heals. No, and right? for different people, it might take a month. It might take two months. Who knows? Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't legislate that this is now just done. Right. Like, you can't if... If Elfline is especially upset, you can't go to him and be like, well, Pat, that happened three months ago. Right. That, that's not right. fair. You can't do that. Right. And and for for as cliched as as the topic of teams are focused might be, if you're gonna be successful, that's true. Like there is a focus. So if you can if you can turn this into a this is for Tony, that's fantastic. But that sounds really, really... I think that's far too simplistic to just say, well, they're going to do that and it's going to be fine. And I just think about 
when you kind of everybody is giving their 100% all across the NFL, the teams that are going to be competing, and you are even 1% distracted by something, that makes it more challenging. The one thing here that they do have that mm-hmm. is a major bonus for them is the number of veterans that are the leaders on the team. Um, bringing back Terrence Newman, I know that offensive line versus the rest, but it's as a whole locker room. You have a lot of players who have been through a lot of things with Everson Griffin and Harrison Smith. Brian Robinson coming back is probably a big help there. I mean, B-Rob is seeing it all with this team, right? So, yeah. I mean, that is the how solid your foundation is. I think that played a big role in them going 13-3 last year and dealing with some of the things that they have over the past few years. And if anyone is going to help them move past this or or deal with it, uh, it's probably those guys. Dave, what's coming up in uh, questions? We will certainly have plenty of Vikings discussion in questions. We'll do that next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. This could go on forever. What should I do? I can shave. I can clip my nails. Nah. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Dave Harrigan. Questions time. For Matthew Collar and myself. Let's go back to the Kirk Cousins conversation you guys had uh, towards the beginning of the previous hour. And the, the topic of conversation was basically Kirk Cousins needs to do a whole lot more to endear himself to Vikings fans than Teddy Bridgewater would have had to or that um, Case Keenum had to simply because he's the guy that came in with the big contract. Fair to say? That's part of it, yeah. So... Yeah. We'll start with this. How long does the honeymoon last, <laughs> Vikings fans, just for Joe Vikings fan? You get them through the preseason, obviously. That doesn't matter. If you get to week one and Kirk Cousins is okay, is that good enough for Vikings fans or the fangs already coming out? No, I, I think that there is no honeymoon with Kirk Cousins. I think it's if he goes 0-2, then people are really, really mad at Kirk Cousins and are burning down U.S. Bank Stadium. And if he goes 2-0, and then they're like, good, that's what you were supposed to do. It's a really tough situation for him because there's no leeway. There is no, well, Kirk played pretty good, but it was someone else's fault. It doesn't matter. If the defense gives up 20 points and they lose, it's his fault for not scoring 21. That's just what you face when you get paid $84 million to come play for a team that's great. That's what he's looking at. If you get to an NFC yeah. Championship game, is that enough? Not, no. and not necessarily this year. Maybe you do it in two years, whatever it is. But you know, well, I think the expectation is this year. To be honest with you, like I think this is seen as the final piece of the puzzle. You you went out and got this guy, and to some, you replaced a quarterback that we liked a lot. In case, I think the expectation is this season. To be honest with you. Yeah, that's how I look at it. As I don't see it as two years, two years, three years. I mean, I don't know because after this. You know, the Diggs thing is up in the air. The Anthony Barr thing is up in the air. It gets harder. Guys get older. You know, every year you go along. Um, I think everyone goes into this year saying, if you reach the NFC Championship and lose, that will be disappointing. As hard as that is, and 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 really, like Pro Football Focus puts odds on every team. What percentage chance they have to win the Super Bowl? They give the Vikings a five percent chance, which is one of the higher percent chances. There's 
32 teams. A lot of them are good. Some teams have Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, and you don't. And so it's hard. But with 13-3 and last year and where you ended up at the end of the season, one game away, it's totally fair for fans to expect that's where you're going to be this year. And, and that's what is tough for Cousins because all of these other times in Washington, he could go, I threw four, for 4,000 yards. It was other people not doing their jobs on defense or whatever else. And they didn't commit to him. And, so he could always yep. fall back on, I'm making a lot, but they're not committing to me. Now it's they committed to you and your stats don't matter at all to any fan. The stats are just not part of this conversation for how he does. You will if he goes ten and six, loses in the first round of the playoffs, yeah. throws for four thousand yards, it'll be a failure and will he will get no apologies from fans. You have to you have to win. That is a really tough spot to be in and kind of a rare one. Only the elite quarterbacks ever have this. Rogers, Brady. That's yeah, it. Yeah, Those I'm trying to think of guys, guys who signed. The honeymoon uh, part of Dave's question is very is very intriguing to me because I guess that's part of, of what I was trying to say before is I don't sense there has been nor will there be one. No, I, that's, I, that's I where feel, I'm at. I feel no like honeymoon. we're in the second year of marriage and we're already starting to become annoyed with our uh, the, the fact that you don't put the cap on the toothpaste and I put the toilet paper upside down and that this could grow volatile very quickly, which is which is weird to me because ordinarily when you sign a guy like this, i.e. Parisi and Suter, we all thought this is great. They're going to go to championships and they are the saviors. With Kirk, it's almost like okay, you stepped into a thirteen and three team that had a good quarterback that we liked, and now he's gone and you're here, so you better do it. The reason for that is that's how I feel at least because they were already thirteen and three. If this team with Case Keenum had gone eight and eight and then signed Kirk Cousins, I think you're right. Yeah. It would be completely different. He would get much more room for losses or, or whatever. It would be just improve the record, get us closer to that. Yep. And you're better. And then at the end of the year, if you go ten and six and lose in the first round, then everyone could go, Well, you're better than last year. But it's really hard to be better than last year. The only way up is to the Super Bowl. Don't you guys also feel like there's a deep therapy session here that could be had with uh, with us, those who follow this team, in relation to quarterbacks. I think we become so jaded by the quarterback, and every time we think we're set up to the quarterback's going to be successful, he either his knee crumbles or he comes back uh, far in 2010 and falls apart. I feel like there's a deep psychological damage done when, when it comes to that spot, and that spot's so important, and Darn it, something always goes wrong. There's a big part of this that this is the best franchise ever without a Super Bowl. I mean, that, going that makes a, that makes a big nice. difference for how people look at it. Like it. I mean, if you're if you're a team right now that has a couple Super Bowls, yep. well, even Seattle, you've got this Earl Thomas thing going on, and your defense basically has crumbled from where it was before. You don't have too many great wide receivers or linemen for Russell Wilson. You stupidly drafted a running back in the first round. Like They should be losing their minds in Seattle, but it's like, eh, we got a Super Bowl recently, and our quarterback's great, so that's how, you know we're in okay shape. We got our Super Bowl. With the, with the Vikings, to get so close so many times, there's kind of a smoldering here that's ready to be unhappy with Mr. Kirk if he doesn't come through. And, and by extension, if he does not come through, Rick Spielman. Let's talk about other off-season moves. Obviously, topics 1 through 18 are Kirk Cousins, but you look beyond that, there was the draft where you didn't get an offensive lineman. You got a kicker in the fifth round. Mike Hughes, your top overall pick. 
there's you could call it Dalvin Cook coming back being an off or off season move, uh, obviously helping out the running game in the offense. But then there's the one I keep just being reminded about whenever I see it. Oh, that's right, Sheldon Richardson. Yeah, that was a pretty decent off season move. What should Vikings fans expect from Sheldon Richardson being added to the defense? Caller, you go on this one. You know, I, I on the phone. I, I'm not sure that Vikings fans appreciated, and there's only so much appreciation to go around. You know everybody's great, but the role of Tom Johnson last year, I thought he was really good. And where Sheldon Richardson could be an upgrade is probably against the run, that he could be a little better than Tom Johnson. But Tom was able to get after the passer quite a bit. Uh, it, maybe he didn't get the sacks, but he had a ton of pressures, a lot of QB hits, and I thought he was a good player. So it, I'm not thinking this is going to be a massive upgrade, just a guy you feel a little more comfortable with He's coming off every play. a disappointing season, too, in Seattle, correct? With sacks, but he did his job last year. Right. I mean, when I went back and watched, he was pretty disruptive, and that's what you're looking for. And that might be, you know, he might get five sacks this year or something, and you might say, well, you know, he didn't really have that big of an impact. But if he's in the backfield a lot, then that's all that really matters. This might not be fair, but my expectation of this defense now is so high. And there could be, I get the fact that by the time they got to the NFC title game, that they probably hadn't, uh, that they probably had played the defensive line too much or the starters too much. So I get the fact that there could be improvements made there and there could be more guys who get rests and things like that. But really, my thoughts and con- and potential concerns all revolve around the offense. Yeah, and it's like, can it keep that up? You change your coordinator. Your coordinator, as co- as Collar has said a lot on this show, and he's right. Shermer had an unbelievable year calling plays. He did. Like they made things look easy. That in this town, if you go back, haven't been easy for a long time. Red zone offense and things like that. So, so when it comes to the additions made and or the expectations, I just expect this defense on a consistent basis to be to be very good to great i'm coming back to the fact that that when it comes to right guard when it comes to kirk cousins when it comes to the play calling my my concerns if i have them would all go towards the offense let's keep it going vikings expectations think of a number in your head that is the number of wins the Vikings will need for you to feel comfortable with a division championship. Oh. All right. So the number they need to hit, oh. where if I say, oh, yeah. you know, obviously if I say 16, you'll feel very comfortable they will win the division because they can't lose the division. If I say 15, 14, what is the number that you're comfortable at saying, yeah, that's enough. That's a division victory over your Packers, Bears, and Lions. And, Given all that's gone into the offseason, given now Tony Sperano, the, the the death, and how you think the team might react to that, even though we really have no idea, what's the percentage chance you think they will get there? Uh, I'm going to put the number at 12. Same. I was tempted to say 13. That's too much. 12. Honestly, schedule, circumstances that I don't know, um, changes made, the percentage chance I think they're going to get there. Uh, 25% maybe. To the division championship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, that, that does not mean I don't think that they're a playoff team because I do think that they could be a playoff team. But I don't, with this schedule and, and you won 13 games last year, that's a ton of wins. Uh, so for you to, to, for you to pull off 25 wins in two years is exceptional. 
and might not be realistic, 25%, which is probably too high. I will also say 12 wins to be 100% comfortable that they can do it. Um, but I do think that this division is so tough that the teams are going to beat up on each other. Yep. And we could possibly see 10 wins take the division. And I would say 35% that if I'm distributing it between the four teams, 35% Vikings, maybe 30% Packers, and then the rest is split between the Lions and the Bears. I mean, the Lions are kind of the the quiet one that we haven't talked about a whole lot, but if they improve their defense, they could be more dangerous than we think. I have no idea if Patricia's going to work or not, though. I can't tell if that style, because he's he's going with the Belichick thing. It's never a good idea. And nobody, or I shouldn't say that, how how many guys from the Belichick tree who have gone with the Belichick style have had success? Like, that's a very unique, and Belichick's a master at it, but how many guys off that tree who have gone in and essentially tried to kick ass? You know, I'm going to run you guys. I'm going to do, mm-hmm. Patricia's doing all that stuff. I'm going to shut down the media and I'm going to run my players. A lot of guys are like, dude, you're not Bill Belichick. Sorry about that. <laughs> and you don't have Tom Brady. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. You've got Matt Stafford, which is nice, but you don't have Tom no, Brady right. and you're not Bill Belichick. And one of the big issues mm-hmm. a lot of times is, I mean, with their defense, it was talent and scheme that was the problem. And a lot of times a coach will come in and be like, it's your culture. It's that you didn't work hard enough. That's yeah. the problem here. I'm going to work you guys even harder. And all the players are like, yeah, okay, the last coach said the same thing when he got here. It's really just that we needed a better scheme on defense and a couple other players. That's what it really was. And that's where these coaches kind of believe too much in themselves, that they believe too much that they are the ones that are having the impact. Mm-hmm. And and it might be true when it comes to scheme, like Sean McVay, where I think you know his scheme made a big difference compared to Jeff Fisher. Well, you could have gone in there. And I know helped I, Jared I, Goff more than Jeff Fisher did. I could have read a few. Jeff books Fisher buried better, Todd but, Gurley. Um, like they didn't do anything. Jeff Fisher yeah. couldn't make Todd Gurley work. But they also increased the personnel by quite a bit there sure. by, by bringing in. Andrew Whitworth on the offensive line, Sammy Watkins, Robert dad, Woods. I mean, they they did a lot to fix the personnel, too. So if you believe, if you're him, that you're going to go in there and start knocking heads together, that's the answer. It probably isn't. Let's come back and wrap things up. Mackie and Judd today is all getting collar. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. You gotta act excited. You got a gift. You gotta act excited. But some of you are going. On 1500 ESPN. Registration is underway for the 37th edition of the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon running from downtown Minneapolis to the state capitol grounds in St. Paul. It's happening Sunday, October 7th. Accomplish a bold feat while savoring the scenic beauty as two cities cheer you on. Run the most revered event in Minnesota running. It's the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon. Details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd today, Matthew Collar and Zolgad uh, GL around the corner. This might come as a surprise to you boys. And I don't know if it's because I don't have to drive to Mankato or what. But as we as we prepare Collar uh, to go out to the TCL Performance Center today for the first rookie practice that the Vikings are going to have, this is as anticipatory or excited as I have been for the start of a Vikings training camp in a long time. And I don't know if it's the 13 wins. I don't know if it's because, as I said, we don't have to drive to Mankato. 
I don't know exactly why, but I ordinarily dread the start of training camp, and, and then you, you finally get to the first preseason game, and then you get bored of that, and you get you know, and and you look forward to September. I'm actually, I am actually anticipating, not with dread, but relatively eager for the start of this training camp. Yeah, I've been anxious to get to it over the past few weeks. Maybe it's because I've just been doing a, a lot of writing, which well, and you've been breaking down you, film. Get a chance. 1500ESPN.com. We did a huge breakdown with my O-line guy um, on the right side of the Vikings offensive line. If you want to check that out. Um, but yeah, maybe it is the 13-3. and three. I don't think... Um, okay, I, I know this. I've never gone into a training camp in my professional career where the team was talking about the Super Bowl as a real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that even goes for hockey with talking about the Stanley Cup. Well, you came as a from the Sabres, thing. and the yeah. Sabres were past any semblance of prime, right? By the time you've covered them, yeah. And and that's never been something that I've covered. Last year was really fascinating for me because you know you get to eleven and two or whatever it was, and it's like, okay, there's not much to really criticize here. Right? <laughs> there's not much to really tear apart here. And this team is really darn good, and we're just writing each week. They're good. They're good. And, uh, you know, now I feel like this year there will be more bumps in the road that we end up covering, and it's already started with this huge thing that happened on Sunday. So it's like, okay, well, what are the other roadblocks that are going to be here for this team, and what are the storylines? And it's a a very unique situation to be in that unless you have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, you don't really get very often. I think a big part of it for me is is this, and it's pretty simple. Uh, the Twins are expected to be good and have been a major flop. The Wild is just sort of stuck, and as much as I like that sport right now, they're incredibly boring. They're doing nothing. Yeah, and and I'm not even saying that's that's the worst thing. But like when people ask us to talk hockey, what are we going to talk about? I like the Dumba contract. Okay, well that's done, but they're not signing guys. They can't. Uh, and the Wolves, to me. While they're intriguing and they're interesting to talk about, it's not as if you could talk about them as if there's a hope. You know, there, there's no, there's no. But what if they make a big playoff run in 2018, 19? That's simply not going to happen. So I think what the Vikings hold out is is they are they are the last of the four male professional sports teams in this town that we pay attention to the most. That you do look at and say there's a real chance here, and and that's a credit. I give them credit for this. It would have been very easy for them to have looked at uh, 2017 and been like, let's go status quo. Let's bring Keenum back. The defense is really good. We, we got drilled in Philadelphia, but ultimately, if we bring guys back, it's going to be good again. I give them credit for doing the exact opposite of what the 2009 and the 2010 Vikings did because they brought every starter back, especially when they went and got Brett. Uh, this team looked at a couple, at least a couple of key spots and said, let's change it. That is, It makes one, them intriguing to me. It's one thing Mike Zimmer's entire career where he is always changing, he's always adapting. After they win 8-8, eight and eight, he could have just said, well, you know, I mean, I got injuries and it wasn't really my fault, and he didn't. And I remember when we talked to him at the NFL Combine after 2016, he said that he was on a mission to go talk with as many other coaches and have coaches come visit him at the ranch and and everything like that to find those areas where he may have made mistakes 
and what he could have missed. And the biggest thing was coming back. Let's not only just get an offensive line, but let's get one that fits what we need to do yep. on offense. Yep. And the building that identity last year was really good. And I, and I don't think that people recognize because there were so many stars last year. Uh, how good Joe Berger was. He had a very good season at, at right guard. He's a very and solid player. It could make a difference this year, but the last few years with him on the offensive line, he was really good, and that's where we're not sure going into this season. But that was something that Zimmer said to himself, I have to not only improve it, but get the right guys to improve it as well. And I think where Z- Zimmer deserves a lot of credit is this. He doesn't show us or ordinarily a lot of himself. I mean, you get the canned responses about players and stuff. Um, but what he said to you guys at the end of 2016 about, I'm going to find out what went wrong and talk to guys, that can be from some guys, you can be like, no, you're not. You know, it sounds good, but you're not going to do it. I truly believe that he improved himself. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that he went to guys and said, what did I screw up here? What could I have done? Because the end, the end of that year in Green Bay, as much as the, the organization attempted to downplay it, could have been a very big deal. Like that could have come back and bit him in the butt in 17, and, and players could have said, well, Mike didn't change, and it's the same old Mike now, and we used to like him, but we don't. I really believe that the fact that he said, I'm going to educate myself about what I did wrong, was not just a storyline. I think he went and did it, and and you know what? If if he is if he reveals himself to the press or not, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what did you learn and how do you evolve and change? And if you show that, that's the most important thing to me. And if you remember, there was an opportunity for meltdown there with the 2017 Vikings very much and they did not the Pittsburgh down. the Pittsburgh yep. thing he easily could have gone off. he could have done the same thing he did after they they lost the game in in 16 in in Philly right and i think where he turned or where he changed was turning kind of on it it's you guys who need to shut up it's your problem you you media people this is you you know i'm mad at you instead of turning it back toward the players yeah and even though he was openly critical at times of Case Keenum, Case Keenum could take it, for one. Which would be interesting to see if Kirk Cousins can. Uh, yes, it will. And and that's where, you know, there are a lot of questions still with Mike Zimmer and, and how he's going to deal with this. But that was one area that I noticed was different, is he kind of was defiant. And even at the very end, he said, I'm not going to sit up here and, and blame people. Even, even when they got killed by Philadelphia. He said, I'm not going to no, do that. He, yeah, he totally changed there. So even though his reputation has been his blunt honesty, which I have an article coming out about, um, I, I, think he, I think he did tweet out exactly? a lot. I've been working for weeks on this stuff. Like what? I got some Randy Moss stuff Tease that I'm excited us. about. Two Randy Moss stories. One I'm really, really excited about. Okay. Um, coming up for him with the Hall of Fame. Okay. Zimmer Offbeat being honest. story. Offbeat story, safe to say? Uh, yeah. Like something you wouldn't yeah. expect. Yes, yes. Like not your run-of-the-mill so, uh, Moss a, story. A perspective on Randy Moss that you've never heard before, which is, I think, rare. Interesting. Um, so that's coming up soon, but closer to when he goes in the Hall of Fame, I think the 31st. Then there's the look at Zimmer and his honesty over the years and how there's benefits to it, but there's also been some drawbacks. Uh, I've got the top camp storylines is coming up tomorrow. This O-line project was big, so... Yeah, there's a lot, man. O-line story online right now to read, correct? Yep, right in the middle. And also, Holton Hill is the most interesting guy in camp. That was another long one. I went back and interviewed his position coach in high school. All right. We are done. Back tomorrow. Garage Logic up next.
to be so damn complicated Take your time and I'll be waiting Keep me in mind